Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man who's found this summer compelling enough evidence to give up denying climate change. It's producer Mason. How are you doing this week, Mason? This is slanderous. I will see you in court over this. <laughs> Sue my pants off. You won't fit in them anyway. Absolutely spurious. I will not be engaging with these flagrantly untrue claims. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us from a remote location in West St. Louis County is a man who's never offside when he's trying to score. It's Sean Campbell. How are you doing this week, Sean? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. And you know, I have to say, it's pretty easy to be onside when you're scoring when you're playing on the back line. It's that that That's the key, kids. Score from the back line. And that's what she said. We got a big show for you this Wait, week. We whoa! Got, uh, <laughs> whoa! We can't just pass up the fact that Mike just made a that's what she said joke. And it was actually Man, I good! To- I told you he was going to take it completely po-faced, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> he did, and I came up with the... Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I never use this line, but it's perfect here. <laughs> Oh Good luck editing God. that in. Real, real reversal of roles going on here in the first, the opening two minutes. <laughs> time to move on. We'll start off with uh, St. Louis City 2. They had a big uh, top of the Western Conference showdown way out in the upper northwest. Was that game actually played in Tacoma or was it played in Seattle? Um, That's a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna be of the of the stance that uh, saying you play in Tacoma instead of Seattle is like saying you live in Baldwin instead of St. Louis. Uh, people in Tacoma would differ. It's actually a fair bit away, but that's where the airport is, so it can't be that far away. No, it is. Um, it was in in Tacoma at Cheney Stadium. Oh, I sure hope that's okay. Good. It's not knowing after the Cheney. I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance to dig him. Oh, there's so many jokes about Dick Cheney. But we move along. Uh, Yeah, it is a rough trip. Long trip, rough trip. Roman Berkey, the don't believe any of the MLS signees, unless you count Josh Yarrow and Juan Cousin amongst those, made the trip out to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, Tacoma Defiance uh, won 5-1 in this one. Uh, scoreline actually flatters Tacoma a little bit. Make no doubt about it, they were the better team on the day. Uh, it's the first time City 2 has dropped all three points on the road this season. They were without uh, Max Schneider. He had to serve his suspension for yellow card accumulation and uh, probably could use maximum Schneider <laughs> in this one. Uh, A.J. Palazzolo gave up a penalty in the 28th minute and uh, Sissoko, the center back, went ahead and converted it to open the scoring for the Defiance. Uh, Tacoma scores two more times in the first half. One a killer, I believe, by Marlon Vargas on that one late in the first half. Uh, that one really killed off the game. Uh, it was pretty even other than the scoreline in the first half. 
And in the second half, after uh, came out, Juan Cousin hit another thunder bastard from outside the box in this one second week in the row. This but, kid does nothing but score galazos, man. Yeah. But why, it's, do think, uh, it's why do you think Sporting <laughs> picked him up? Yeah, I know. Originally, it's really a shame that he still. was the only offense that we had because, man, what a beautiful strike that was. Yeah, it was 2-0 into the half and coming out of the half in the fifth minute, uh, the 50th minute of the game. Uh, Alfonso Campo Chavez uh, had a goal from a, just an impossible angle. And got it in. Then Cousin scored his Galasso. There was six minutes of stoppage time in the first half. Vargas actually scored in the 51st minute of the match. And then in the second half, Alfonso Campo Chavez scored in the 50th minute. Uh, interesting Let's stuff do right the time there. warp again. Yeah. It's just a jump to the left. Uh, however, and then uh, Tacoma just piled it on. St. Louis got stretched trying to generate something into attack. They had their chances, couldn't finish them. Despite the scoreline, Tacoma's defense was stout at the one end. They got on the break and just, if they weren't immediately going to the box off the break, they had wonderful buildup and found their way to take good chances in the box. Uh, And when they did, they finished them, which is Finishing's been a little problem for City, too. It really bought them and bit them in this one because in the first half, it was quite even. City, too, needed to take those chances to keep it close. They didn't. Tacoma did. And that really makes the scoreline rather embarrassing if it didn't really uh, be indicative of uh, how competitive the match actually was. The the second half especially... um kind of felt like watching your evil twin <laughs> a little bit because it they were beating us it was they were doing like a stop hitting yourself almost because they were pulling out every trick that we pull on all the other teams <laughs> yeah they didn't do the press but uh it was hot there they're having a heat wave up there it wasn't a lot of high pressing st louis in the earlier game in st louis had really disrupted them with the high press they didn't really get a chance to push that on. When they did in the first half, it was effective, and they turned them over. They just weren't getting the goals out of it. Uh, so it ends up 5-1, one of those being a very, very late goal for Tacoma to make the scoreline uh, so lopsided. Hard to call the fifth score in a 5-1 game a dagger, but... It wasn't the dagger. <laughs> the one at the death... Uh, the first half that was the dagger that was a brutal brutal goal to give up uh because it would have been one nil and you thought they really had a chance especially the way that uh, city had played up to that point but it wasn't meant to be the more city got stretched trying to push up and attack the more tacoma had chances and they took them as we said but uh, city two does re- still retain second place in the west Remaining above uh, Dynamo Dos based on a goal differential. Uh, And City 2 still has a game in hand against the teams in the playoff race, except for Minnesota, who's down in seventh. They're they're within striking distance, but fortunes are going to have to shift for Minnesota. But Minnesota has played as many games as we have, so. And uh, City 2 has a lot of away games left. 
and they're going to burn one of the two remaining home games this upcoming weekend. What's this game look like, Mason? Uh, we are coming home uh, at Ralph Cordy Stadium to face the Chicago Fire 2. Uh, that is going to be on Saturday the 6th. Um, kickoff for that game is at 8. Uh, last I saw, the Lugans tailgate is scheduled for 5. Might want to double check that. It's usually 2 hours before kickoff. Um, so, I don't know. How much How much do we want to spend on this, that this might be the last game at Ralph Cordy? Might be. Cause There's one more game left against Sporting Kansas City, and the still venue no is still to be determined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... We'll let you know as soon as we know, folks. Check your local listings for time and place yeah. on that. Uh, with this uh, week's game, the St. Luligans uh, are holding a school supply drive benefiting the Little Bit Foundation. Uh, they were asking for donations. It turns out that Little Bit had uh, problems with the flooding that uh, really put their warehouse in uh, bad shape. I think it's written off how bad it was oh okay and uh, so they're actually asking for uh cash donations rather than actual school supplies though some will they'll still be accepted but uh they don't want to be overloaded because they got nowhere to stash them yeah um last that i saw from the luligan's twitter page before going to to air was um that the uh the Luligans and the Little Bit Foundation are now asking for for cash donations to help towards a new, you know, warehouse, resource center, all that. But if you do have all like school supplies that you'd like to donate, um, they will be accepted. The Luligans are going to hold them until uh, they're either ready to be distributed or the Little Bit Foundation has another place to store them. So. They will not go unused. You will not be turned away with them. They're still much appreciated, but uh, priorities have shifted on that one. And uh, this is a good uh, charity du jour for the Luligans because uh, the ever-rising prices have really hurt uh, even working families to supply their kids with school supplies because the list of school supplies has become just insane for parents out there as we go along and uh, unfortunately I don't believe any of us are going to be able to make this match the uh, the final match against Sporting KC we do have plans to definitely be fair for that one uh, barring hell or high water as we've seen this week can't <laughs> count out high water <laughs> absolutely cannot no but uh, yeah that's tentative but we would certainly like to go uh the fire should be a little reprieve and a little help for uh, City 2 coming off of a rough road trip. A one-off. Uh, they played well, just didn't have enough to beat a rampant defiance team. They looked awfully good uh, this past weekend. Uh, <laughs> really looked up to their namesake, huh? Yeah. The fire are 2-2-1 two, two, and one in their last five. Which boosts them up to 4, 8, and 5, so they're improving. <laughs> uh, eighth place in the Eastern Conference. If you recall, City 2 did play them in an empty Bridgeport in Chicago area uh, back on June 11th, and City 2 uh, squeaked by with a 5-0 win. 
just a little bit squeaked by. <laughs> trying, trying my best to do the just a bit outside, but, uh, you know, didn't exactly flow off the tongue. Not all of my jokes can be the same <laughs> level as Juan Cousin's goal-scoring ability. I apologize. But whose can? Very few can. They're not all bangers. <laughs> That's about all we've got for uh, City 2. The big club, City SC, kind of quiet on the news front. We expect that for the next few weeks, so you never know when something might uh, crop up. We've still got information on a kit reveal. We're expecting that sometime in October from the last we heard. And then, of course, at the end of the season, we'll really be picking things up with the uh, roster build. Uh, You got the free agency list. You got the super draft. You got uh, the, uh, what do they call it, uh, where they come back into the league. There's that draft. The re-entry. The re-entry. The the TAM money, just doing straight-up trades across MLS. There are so many things going on. Um, summer primary window for MLS. There still could be international uh, players coming in, especially if any of the players that are already in St. Louis manage to get their green cards. That does free up an international slot. So we'll keep an eye on that, but we expect that to all be crunched together in a very short amount of time at the end of the year, not to mention right around the World Cup. So it's going to be busy at the end of the year. But we all uh, we all knew that, right? (laughs) Yeah, we knew that going in. Well, we did. (laughs) Uh, And you, the lovely listener, also knew that. (laughs) Hopefully the uh, St. Louis City uh, SC front office knew that as well. (laughs) It's not a shock to them to hear that on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a shock for them to just hear our podcast, apparently. (laughs) Not necessarily so, sir. Not necessarily so. Uh, Moving along, actually, there's League's Cup action between uh, MLS and Liga MX this year. It's really just a showcase. And we're recording on Tuesday. This will come out on Wednesday. Wednesday night, we got really the highlight of all of it. Uh, LA Galaxy will take on... uh, Chivas, Guadalajara at uh, 7.30, and then LAFC plays uh, Club, Club America at uh, 10.15. Uh, Those are local times, by the way, for Central. Central, so. yes. These games are essentially club friendlies. This is just a showcase back the way it used to be. Then, of course, next year when City 2 is involved, they're taking a month off and playing a full tournament-style Leagues Cup, which... Not There's even a possibility of being not excited. even city, not even city two, big club. Oh, big Can boy I say club. city two. Yeah, yeah uh, we got to get used to saying the big club and not city two now. Yeah, that we cover what we cover and we get a little locked in. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, be the big club. Yeah, but uh, this is this is also these are really exhibition games. Um, if you thought League's Cup was already exhibition, this is even more exhibition. This is these are just straight up club friendlies, basically. Um, not even in a single elimination kind of bracket like the League's Cup used to be. Um, I think largely that's kind of twofold. It's um, because the last couple iterations have been canceled due to COVID and because of the reformatting, uh, it's to try to generate some hype. Yeah. Uh, What's compelling to watch? Well, LAFC against Club America is 
pretty compelling just based upon the talent that's going to be on the field. And Carlos Vela, how's he going to feel playing against uh, Liga Mackey's teams? And MLS teams are always out to try to, you know, little brother try to stand up to big brother in this. But another one is, uh, historically, a fair few Liga Mackey's managers have lost their jobs simply because they lost to an MLS club. Let's see if that holds after an MLS squad won a a CONCACAF Champions League this year. But, uh, you know, Chivas Guadalajara and uh, Club America, yeah, they're even in a friendly, they're going to want to win this because it'd be so embarrassing and the Mexican media and fans are really so harsh back home. Well, uh, Club America is the... um... Uh, I I think it's the Champions de Champions. Um, they won the 2021 uh, Apertura and the 2022 Clausura. They won both uh, legs of that of the 2021-22 season. So they are Liga MX's champions, reigning champions, and they're going to be coming hard for the Concacaf Champions League uh, the next time that rolls around. Uh, this summer, so <laughs> look forward to that. And after that, we've got some MLS roundup to go for you all. And with that is Sean Campbell. All righty, and this week in MLS, we're going to start off with a little bit of a bit of a different take. Um, I just want to start off by mentioning we a little moment of remembrance for uh, former player Jason DiTulio. He was also a um, assistant coach for. CF Montreal, he passed away at age 38 from a battle with cancer. Um, I just want to offer our condolences to his loved ones and to the team itself uh, for a member of the the club for a long, long time as a player during, you know, the impact era. And then also as a coach during the CF Montreal era, play ended up playing 81 games for the club, uh, 60 of them being starts would become the assistant coach um, and the CEO of the club was Quoted as calling him an iconic figure at the club. Um, just want to mention, you know, our solidarity with fellow teams and a loss of a very important member of their family. And so young, mm. our condolences. Absolutely. And also solidarity for all of those who have lost people uh, to to cancer, which is a nightmare disease that does not discriminate. All right. Moment of silence. And now... To move along with some more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, more, more, bit on- more upbeat news. <laughs> more upbeat news. Uh, we'll we'll jump into some transfer, some transfer news for y'all. Uh, we'll start off with the Gaga Solnina rumors to Chelsea are all but confirmed at this point. Uh, looks like it's going to be they they have come to a verbal agreement for a winter window transfer for 10 million to 15 million plus is what I have been seeing. And it's reportedly a six-year deal at Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea hasn't done very good in the face of uh, European competition, getting deals over the line during this window window under their uh, new American ownership. But uh, they've been working on this one for a long, long time. So I think it's done. In some more, in some in the league moves, we've got David Ochoa going to DC from RSL. He has not played a single MLS league game since that glorious playoff run they had last season. But uh, it's good to see that he's actually 
going somewhere where he's probably going to play under Wayne Rooney for sure. Yeah, the rumors are rampant that it was his immaturity and unprofessionalism uh, that really led to him being shunned by uh, RSL. So DC United kind of taking a risk here, but I believe he's out of contract. So see how it plays out. Best of luck to him. We've got Charlotte. It was rumored connection in making a move for a Wales international. This time it's Aaron Ramsey being connected. Um, Looks to be making a Bale-esque move in, in prep for a World Cup, which is the first World Cup that Wales has qualified for in, what, almost 70 years now. Um, reportedly, he's choosing between either Charlotte FC or Nice over in Ligue 1. Um, I honestly, I think he's he's doing this because Bale did it, and you know, they're the two main main players on that squad. If they could be World Cup ready with top, you know, top team minutes playing in and out right up until the cup, I think that's good for them. Is that yeah, <laughs> seeing how uh, he, he couldn't hold a job at Juve, he's not in comparison to Christian Bale. Maybe for an expansion uh, franchise. Did it again. <laughs> ah, damn you, Susanna Collins on MLSsoccer.com. Uh, but uh, for an expansion franchise, maybe he is quality enough to be a star in MLS. But uh, to be quite honest, I don't think it's enough anymore from him. I, I also think that maybe just after uh, after Gareth Bale moved over here, there might just be a Hank run for Welsh players now. <laughs> It could be fair with them also making the cup. They, you know, might have players that are willing to compete at a higher level because they are going to be on the biggest of international stages. So that might be part of it. Speaking of international, we've got a transfer that technically isn't within our league, but very much impacts the league. We have Chris Richards on transfer from Bayern Munich to Crystal Palace. Reports have $5 million in sell-on fees given to FC Dallas with the potential for more based off of, I'm assuming, merit-based, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Achievements. In- incentives. Incentives, that's the one. Um, but yeah, so Dallas looks to be look, looks to make a pretty penny off of this deal, potentially more. And I, I see this as a growing trend in the league, is that they sell someone but for a little less than they wanted, but they do get a lot in those sell-on fees, which could really impact the transfers into the league ultimately yeah this was a coup for fc dallas and if you wonder why we're paying so much attention the academy and city two well one it's something for us to talk about and number two clearly this is the pathway that's uh lutes and city sc are going down for youth development to augment the first team both for players and to generate revenue and Teams like FC Dallas with such successes and Philadelphia Union lay the groundwork for it to be a viable option. Yeah, I um, I do kind of feel like it's a, it's a it's a tight line to walk to have a very good academy that can get you players that teams want to purchase for big fees, especially big sell-on fees, and then also have a competitive team domestically fc dallas was up and down on that quite a bit they've got so but they used some of that money that they got to get some big players that have made big moves for them this season so it's not impossible i think uh i was gonna say i think the big the big thing here in trying to keep that balance is 
maybe you bring up a bunch of players and most of them fit your system, but ultimately in the end game, you have a player who's got a lot of skill, doesn't quite fit the system. You could sell them on and they go to another place. You get the big the big transfer fee because they're a great prospect. They get sold on to someone that is a bigger club in a different system that you get the fees from. But you got to make sure you're balanced. You're balancing it by having a bunch of players that, you know, fit your system and you hold on to those guys, even though they may not be as big of a sale fee you still get a lot of quality out of that because they fit your system better than another. Yeah, and a couple of things on this. First of all, you know, the rates of development to be able to sell on for a profit because uh, it costs a lot to, you know, raise these kids up in the game. Uh, you got to have a big academy. St. Louis City really only has two youth levels. They've talked about having multiple ones. See how that goes. That helps. Because it's a numbers game in that case for selling on and developing just to help up in a league like MLS. Second one is uh, Bayern Munich must have been looking back in MLS after the Afonso Davies uh, transfer that's worked so well for them because they took on Chris Richards and perhaps telling of his talent for a million dollars, but a 35% sell on fee for the next contract that they gave to uh, Dallas for this one. And Dallas coo the rewards. Five million extra on top of that million for the transfer. Nice job, Dallas. And it looks like Dallas has been very, very good in deciding which players are better to sell sell on, get the initial fee, and then get sell-on fees from there as opposed to keeping for themselves. Some of their fans might disagree with that. But uh, speaking of the other end of the age spectrum... There's a big name in MLS and U.S. soccer that uh, made a, not surprising, but kind of uh, shocking news in a move this week, wasn't there, Sean? Oh, yeah. We got uh, good old Josie Altador making a loan move to Puebla in Liga MX. Um, And I think this is, we can all agree, this is almost exclusively so he can get actual playing time in hopes of making the World Cup squad. Uh Personally, I don't see him making the plane over to Qatar unless he absolutely blows the doors off of Liga Mekis and scores more goals than there are games. Uh, if I had to if I had to say, I think Brendan Vasquez has a better chance of making that trip to Qatar than Josie Altador does, even with this loan. And even if he does blow the doors off of Liga Mekis. Yeah, and, you know, really... Uh... To, for Josie to get in a conversation, he's going to have to score a goal per game on the rate with Puebla. They lost their lead striker, so there's a chance for him to play, but that's a big chance. And that's just for him to get in the conversation because Va- Brandon Vasquez actually plays a game that fits more in uh, Greg Berhalter's style, and he's really earned it, and he's shown it this season. He's been very good. So, oh yeah, And, absolutely. of course, Josie has to stay healthy. He has to stay healthy. Oh, if if that's what it's riding on, then Josie's not making it to Qatar because we all know he can't stay healthy to save his <laughs> life. Almost literally at this point. The man, he plays a game in the World Cup and gets hurt and then probably doesn't make another another appearance for the U.S. team for another three years. It's just, it's just the formula for him. He gets hurt and he stays hurt. He needs to not stay hurt if he wants to play, and he can't do that. <laughs> tough to be a glass jaw Joe on the U.S. men's national team. Is that a punch out reference? 
Yes, it is. I love it. It needs to it needs to happen more often. And speaking of punch out, one last little break off rumor that hit Twitter today from sketchy sources. Uh John Brooks has been mooted to possibly be looking at a transfer back to MLS or not back to MLS to MLS for the San Jose Earthquakes. Don't know how much I hold into it. Could be good for him playing time. Apparently, offers aren't forthcoming from Bundesliga teams. And we'll just see. We'll have to see going forward. Even if he does come back, I'm not sure if that if that puts him on the roster for the for Qatar either. But uh, it, no, it, it would be a great move for for Team Chaos and and solidifying their their back line for sure. But I I don't see that cementing him in the conversation any more than he already is. Could get him back into the picture with the U.S. men's national team, but probably not for this upcoming World Cup. And quite frankly, if Berhalter continues on for a second term as coach, I just don't see him fitting Berhalter's system. He's just not the type of center back that fits Berhalter's system. Well, that's enough of transfer fees or transfer rumors. Let's go ahead and get to the on-pitch the on-pitch news, and boy, do we have an absolute, I, I don't even know what to call this match, um, a knockout, drag-out, thrashing. Uh, the Union, Philadelphia Union go, and they they take on the Dynamo at home, and they make them look like an absolute CYC team, winning 6-0. And this is fresh off of Jim Curtin going on record as saying that Ache Ache is CONCACAF's best player. <laughs> He's a butt smoke blower. Ache Ache is not the best player in CONCACAF by a mile. Well, yeah, because that obviously goes to our buddy, good old Billy Goat Ochoa, right? Or Afonso Davies. I, he just called. <laughs> nah, either way, but, I don't uh, think Ache Ache is even the best player on L3 at the moment. Hot take. Nah, I'd go. Yeah, old Billy. In goal or uh, Edison Flores, I think, is their best. Well, their best is Carlos Vela, but he's on the outs. So. But Philadelphia, in July, had a, what was it, 15 or 16 goal differential during the month of July. Second best in MLS history. And that coming off a stretch where they fell and had a lot of draws because they couldn't score. But, of course, they really piled on with DC United and here in this game with uh, Houston to really bump those numbers up. But when they get on a roll and they smell blood, they can be ruthless and they're looking pretty good, possibly for the shield now. Oh yeah. You could kind of say, you could kind of say this of the, of their run in July, but especially this game here, this is really giving them the Philly special, like taking them back, like out back in the alley and like beating them over, beating them over the kneecaps. Like, and then and then climbing up a greased light pole about it. Oh yeah, I mean, but when you look at when you end up looking at uh, Philly's run of form here, that is wins in at least five straight, um, and yeah, they they've been undefeated in six straight. They they've been absolutely dominant these last couple of weeks here, and this is just them finally figuring out how to put the ball in the back of the net so the fans can go freaking mental. It's it's amazing. 
But this is this is what we expected of Philly coming into this season with all the changes they made, and now they're finally making good on that process on that promise. Well, keeping it Eastern, we've got the we've got the matchup between Cincy and Inter Miami, um, and in a game where even the coach said they looked like CYC boys, uh, it's a four four draw. That Brendan Vasquez and Brenner both get braces, and we've got the Iguain Hattie. It, it, it was an absolute just goal fest over there, and Phil Neville came out and said they defended like little boys. A little uh, shout-out in this game, though, for a couple of what looked like colossal MLS failures in Gonzalo Higuain and Brenner who have recently really upped their game and really been impactful in games. So, good on them. Uh, Both these teams show that they can score basically on anyone. Their attack is great. Their defense will allow any team to score on them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, this Um, looks like a freaking hockey score. Yeah, it's... uh... I don't know, man. Um, especially watching the highlights, this feels kind of like soccer with the resti- restrictor plates taken off. <laughs> like, wasn't this uh, this next one also uh, a four four draw between the the, the Timbers? Yeah, yeah, between the Timbers and and the Loons. Yeah, absolutely high octane soccer here as well. Somehow this happened. Um, but yeah, so the Loons draw 4-4 against the Timbers. The Timbers end up losing Felipe Mora for the rest of the season. Uh, it all started off with Blanco scoring in the opening minute of the game. And yet the Loons come back and get three goals and go up 3-1 at halftime. I was 17. I looked at the clock when I tuned in. 17 seconds late seeing the opening of the match, and I missed the first goal. Oh, it was that that quick? Yeah, it was like the 14th or 15th second. When I tuned in on DirecTV, by the time it finally got the game up, they were celebrating. I'm like, what's going on? They scored. How late am I? What's going on? It was (laughs) basically off the kickoff. And the next 60 minutes were pretty much like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it ends up being 3-1 at halftime for the Loons. Then 20 minutes into the second half, the Timbers have the, the one-goal lead back, and it's 4-3 to three now, led by a Blanc- getting Blanco getting his brace. And then Amaria comes back, and at 69th minute, <laughs> nice, uh, he gets his brace. It ends up being 4-4 <laughs> at the end of the game. Uh, there are nine, count them, nine Yellow cards, and no one got a second yellow in this game. This is nuts. According to OptiJack, this was the first time in MLS history, the sordid MLS history, especially the early days, that both teams scored at least four goals, and there was, and both teams had at least four yellow cards. Absolutely, <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> Bonkers. It was a slug fest if I've if I've ever heard of one in MLS. And I mean, when you look at it, this was this was two giants in form going at each other because both teams, and I did look this up and confirm, both teams going in, including this game, were undefeated in eight straight matches. 
The Timbers only had four wins, but the Loons had seven wins in their last eight. Absolute slugfest. Unlike the other uh, Inter-Miami-Cincinnati 4-4 match, this one was two good teams just going at it. The other one was bad defense. So four goals each, four yellow cards each at least. I feel like this is the closest we can get to awarding teams at least the soccer equivalent of a Gordie Howe hat trick. <laughs> yeah. I think the clo- the only Let's way just... you could get any better is, you know, if someone got a hat like a literal brace and then also got an assist on the on the other two goals in the in the process, but but yes, this is the closest let's we can say, get. Let's just say both of them were trying. I think this is what everyone envisioned when MLS was originally created. That you'd see lots of scoring, lots of action. It'd be chippy, but also it's two big teams that are doing really well that everyone wanted to watch. Like this, I think this is what MLS was want to be when it first started. I think this is what the NBA wanted to be when they first started. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, when the NBA first started, it was a nightmare place that you did not enter. (laughs) Moving on. Oh, man. Um, Speaking of a team, this isn't in the show notes, but I wanted to mention it. Uh, Speaking of a team that's been an absolute godly form at this point i just think it needs to be mentioned that nycfc is now at seven seven undefeated games and i believe what four of them were wins i just wanted to make sure we mentioned another team that was having an absolute table running level of form at the moment before we move but they're ever since they lost uh, head coach ronnie dahlia their form has not been anywhere approaching how good the timbers and loons have been over the last eight. So uh, they're actually losing ground to a red hot Philadelphia Union team. So oh, yeah. That needs to be taken into consideration as well. Exactly. But when Philly's putting up more wins than you can because you're putting up draws instead, that's just simple math, baby. Well, anyway, finishing up the Eastern Conference, we're going to jump a little bit down and we're going to talk about another historic moment in MLS as Wayne Rooney gets his. First win as an MLS coach as his DC United take on Orlando. And this is Wayne Rooney's fourth win against Orlando in as many games if you count his games as a player as well. And oh boy, did he do it in a fashion. (laughs) Yeah, Taxi Fontas, the late winner, and of course... What's the lasting memory of Wayne Rooney as a MLS player was that stoppage time where he tracked back when the goalkeeper was up, stole the ball, put the cross in, get the late winner. This was pretty dramatic just for an equalizer. Oh, this yeah. Was, this was something else because DC United was terrible in the first half, much, much better in the second half. Yeah, I um I didn't watch this game. I watched the highlights earlier today before recording. And um, the highlights were all Orlando, all Orlando. And it was just Orlando pounding and pounding and pounding and not getting a goal after that early opener they had. 
And then you skip ahead and you check the clock and it says 90 plus two and they bury the equalizer. And then it skips ahead to 90 plus six. And then there's Taxi Fontos doing Taxi Fontos things. Yeah, the last thing to leave with this game is keep your eye on Taxi Fontos. As this if you didn't already special. know. Yeah, if you didn't already know, this guy's special. Oh, yeah. Got, gotta love watching him play. Um, but yeah, two stoppage time goals it, to to get the win is is always just an absolute. If you're an Orlando fan, I bet your heart fell through the floor. If you were, if you're a DC fan, I apologize. First of all, I now know how it feels to be bottom of the table. But also, this had to have put your heart through the ceiling. <laughs> just gotta love late game heroics. I mean, even just like getting the updates on my phone, I got and and as a neutral, I got a little bit of the feeling I usually only get in hockey playoffs games. Speaking of playoff games, playoffs fresh off of their win as the Canada Cup champions, the Whitecaps go to Nashville and they get a draw after Nashville takes an early lead. And then gives it up very late as well. They went up in the 17th minute and then uh, Whitecaps came back and drew level in the 87th minute. Uh, A couple of things here. There's things happening in Vancouver. Such a boring team to start the season. Uh, They didn't have Ryan Gauld early in the season. He's come back and now because Julian Gressel really didn't fit Wayne Rooney's coaching style. They gave him up, the Whitecaps picked him up, and him just pouring crosses into the box for Vancouver. Just how good a player he is, is really, you start to see an uptick in quality throughout the squad just because there's something there they can hang their hats on. Keep an eye on them going forward for the rest of the year. I don't know how much of an impact they'll make, but they might... They might really throw wrenches in some team's plans. If you want to talk about impact, you're 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 on the wrong side of Canada. That's Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> uh, no, because the the crest. Blah, 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 yeah, um, but no, we with, already did that on caps. a different episode. Go look it up, folks. <laughs> with with the caps, um, they um they started off real rough. Uh, they were missing Gold. They uh, lost um, Maxime Cropot, and they just were not at all together. They managed to kind of cohere a bit in kind of like, you know, early midseason. Um, but now they're getting a little late injection of life. It might be too little too late, but who know? Um that West is uh, is looking looking shaky at the bottom of the table. So, well, we'll see about that one. But uh, speaking of segues, Maxime Cropot and LAFC went over Seattle 2-1. And that was a very exciting match. Mike, I believe you watched this one as well. Couldn't stop watching it. Uh, Seattle was very good in this one. LAFC was... Defenses were taught, LAFC with the press, 
Seattle bunkering down and getting tight uh, against the attack. The biggest difference here was Seattle created a lot of chances. They didn't finish them again. And if they don't get the injured Raul Ruiz back very soon to finish off some of these, because nobody else seems to be filling in with that role, uh, they're going to be in danger of missing the playoffs for the first time in their 13-14 year history. God forbid that happens and the Death Star shows a <laughs> chink in the armor and just yeah. falls apart. They did win. <laughs> they did win CONCACAF Champions League, so... It's yeah, they got that it's almost year. as if it doesn't matter that you know they they miss out because they won the biggest trophy on this side of the of this side of the prime meridian. They gave out Jal Palo to get that trophy. Um I will say I am uh, I'm kind of noticing a, a trend here between like late stage expansion teams with black and gold uh team colors and uh early success. <laughs> Um, you said that you said that about Seattle, Sean. It's like, oh no, I hope they don't do that. And all I could think was like, ooh, I hope they don't find my exhaust port. <laughs> <laughs> oh, remember no. they weren't making the playoffs a few years back, and then they went out and signed somebody none of us ever heard of named Nico Ladero, and they went on and went on MLS Cup. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, with with everything we always say about Seattle, I think it needs to be noted that uh, LAFC here is on a four straight win streak to be di- differentiated from an unbeaten streak because they had lost the previous game. But four straight wins is still a big run of form, and they are currently sitting atop the shield, and that is including the resurgent Philadelphia Union and also the ever-present Austin FC this year. And then you get Cellini having a really good game, and he's an old man in soccer. He looks older than I do, and I got almost 20 years on him. But if you're a center back and you know how to play the game, you can still be effective. It, it, It mattered in Serie A, and it's going to matter in MLS. It's almost as if playing in Serie A has trained him how to be resilient and actively play as an old man or something. It's almost as if we have two similar styles of play overarching the the leagues or something. Uh, Are you saying Serie A is a retirement league? Oh, no, I think Zlatan signed another contract at the age of 40 (laughs) in Serie A. He didn't do that in MLS. I think I'm trying to say that... uh, it's been said by other other writers out there, but I think the MLS experience translates best into into this into Serie A in Italy first, as opposed to someone jumping from playing top level MLS into, say, a Bundesliga or a Premier League, because they all have their own different ethos that makes up that league. And Serie A is most similar to MLS. Alfonso Davies just called and said, you sure about that? What Sean is trying to say is that much like in Italy, here in America, we also cook a da pasta and cook a da pizza. A-O. We overcook a da pasta and we overcook a da pizza. Those are cardinal sins in my heritage, and I will fight you for both of those. But yes, moving on, uh, speaking of the 
you know, the third member of this shield race we haven't mentioned yet. Austin FC go into KC and get a dominant 2-0 win. Uh, this is SKC coming off a long and very disappointing U.S. Open Cup match against Sacramento. Uh, Cam Duke got a second yellow card at the end of the first half. And then right after that, Austin scores their first goal. And even though Sporting had a chance with a PK in the second half, it was just there was nothing we could do. But Austin didn't really score their first goal in the 45th minute, did they? They scored their like third <laughs> Because <laughs> there was they how were many offside three it's times. It's the first yeah. one that counted. That's what counts. <laughs> they but were offside when they tried to score. Austin scored like three goals in the first half. Was it three goals total, or was it three goals in the first half? Four total that got taken back from VAR. Mason, do you have to keep kicking the dog when he's down? No, I just think it's funny. <laughs> It's that only funny because you're not a sporting fan. <laughs> F*** off out of here. Let's just move on and continue talking about Austin. <laughs> Austin won 2-0. That's it. The race between the top three of the shield is only three points wide. That's it for MLS, everybody. Let's talk national team and just skip the Open Cup because I already talked about the match that matters. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, Jerisi will be your MLS uh, MVP. <laughs> what he's doing for Austin is fantastic. And uh, U.S. Open Cup. Remember yeah. we <laughs> talked about him allowing uh, D.C. United, uh, Orlando, uh, letting them back in the game at the end? Maybe they should have done what they did in the U.S. Open Cup. Oh, you mean when they uh, absolutely Bulls, New York. beat down the Red Bulls? Five to <laughs> one. Turn, they did to Red Bulls what Tacoma paste. did to us. <laughs> turn them into paste. I wondered in our preview of this game if the Red Bulls were going to focus on the league rather than this game, and they made some substitutions when the game still was competitive that made me think that, yes, they did. And Orlando was just a juggernaut in this one, just ripping them aside, figured out how to went with direct balls over the top, how you beat the press. Keep that in mind, City, St. Louis City fans. Uh, and Orlando tore them up. But I don't, I think they wanted this so much more than the Red Bulls did. It, uh, you can kind of tell from the scoreline. <laughs> and um, in uh, the other match in the U.S. Open Cup, USL Championship side, Sacramento Republic, uh, held off an MLS side whose name is Redacted. Yeah. Uh, it went to penalty kicks and Sacramento Republic with the huge cup set. Uh, actually, a Division Two team is going to the US Open Cup Finals since when? Uh, yeah, this is the first time that a non-MLS side uh, has made it to the finals since Charleston Battery did it in 2008. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, well, we all know who Mason's rooting for in this one. <laughs> well, yeah. Cup he, set. He, you got to root for the cup set unless you're a diehard Orlando fan. Which or we do know unless one. you're an angry man at, you know, <laughs> this certain, certain redacted player team. whose also name yeah. is Redacted. Uh, because everyone knows he's at penalty kicks and you let him take 
the most important one. Wrong decision, redacted head coach. Wrong decision. <laughs> I will die on this hill. And would this have been there for redacted team if their first uh, choice goalkeeper had actually been there for penalty kicks, who has historically one of the greatest save rates on penalty kicks in the history of the game worldwide? Oh, absolutely not. This would have been a knockout dragout. We would have won in PK's, no question, Tim Melia, whose name will never be redacted because he cannot fault. The man would have stopped at least two of them, and it would have been 5-3 in PK's, game over, and we'd have a completely different conversation right now, and I would not be furious to still be talking about this. <laughs> Yeah, we have unlocked a new secret fourth co-host, which is Sean Campbell Brackett's Angry. Oh, I've already <laughs> gone on my rants. You guys have been here for that. And our longtime listeners have one. been here for me raging. I thought Sean Campbell relaxed would be our fourth host. <laughs> oh, no, that's the secret fifth host that, you know... It's going to take some new legislation for that to be a thing, that's, put it that way. <laughs> that's the that's the cave double he has yet to emerge. <laughs> been been distracted by beguiling lights. Okay, enough of this silliness. Uh, we got some U.S. national team news. Yes, on both sides. Um, so I don't actually know how long this has been out, but I first saw it today when I was looking at FopMob and I saw... Huh, that's interesting. Um, there are two dates scheduled for U.S. men's national team friendlies in the September window. Uh, September 23rd against Japan and uh, the 27th against Saudi Arabia. Uh, these are both away games and these are both games against teams who are also going to be playing in the World Cup. Um now, I don't know how long this has been out. This might be old news. Very much heard. likely is old news. But I first saw it today while I was looking at FopMob, and I saw the little the little plane icon, and it said Japan. I said, huh, that's not usually there. So I checked that out. Um, did, a, <laughs> I, uh, did a little investigative journalism, however many months late. Um, but uh, Not late. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, we've got Japan and Saudi Arabia coming up for our September window for the men's national team. A lot of USMNT fans will be upset that these teams aren't of a higher profile, but you have to remember it's a two-way street. Maybe some of those higher profile teams did not want to play the U.S. The U.S. tends to play very physical and very hard in friendlies, and they don't want anybody hurt heading into the World Cup. This could also be indicative of us becoming one of those high-profile teams that the lower-profile teams want to play against. Yeah. Both can be true. Yeah. Um so I I didn't do super in depth on this. Um I didn't look up super current FIFA men's uh men's rankings on it. But <laughs> um when I looked, um I did see that the US men's were ranked something like thirteenth overall, which is really high. Um, but then also, um, neither of these teams cracked the top 20, but at the time that the, uh, the, the poll was for the groups for the world cup, Japan was like 21st. They're not a slouch. No, Japan is historically like the U S has been. 
a team you just don't want to play. Yeah. They're pesky. Uh, they have enough talent to hurt you. And uh, they're just a tough out, as they say. You got a live update, Sean? I have a live update of the of the rankings. Uh, the current rankings are USA at 14, Japan at 24, and who did we say the other one was? Saudi Arabia? Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Saudi Arabia. I was looking at Qatar because I thought that's who we were playing. I'm not going to lie. Saudi Arabia is pretty low. They were in the 40s when the group pool happened. Uh, they are no longer. I do not see them in the top 50 anymore. They have dropped below 50. And by that, I mean, I'm going to the next page. Now, the question is. They are now 53rd. That's a way match. Are they in Saudi Arabia for the game? Yes. That's a climatic uh, set up for a friendly within the environment that the World Cup will be played. I do have a live update on Gaga Slonina. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You see, this is why I keep my news articles open, so I can keep <laughs> refreshing <laughs> them. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. On Breaking news on this podcast. side of the MLS soccer <laughs> update. We've got news <laughs> updates on Gaga Slonina's expected transfer to the English Premier League. Sorry, I'll be fresh off the I'll, ticker. <laughs> I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut the accent, but uh, it is now 100% official. It is 10 million base, up to 15 million with with add-ons included. Uh, he will be loaned back to the fire for the rest of the season, but starting 2023 calendar year, he will be at Chelsea Blue and will be until 2028, or they could sell him on. Also, Chicago is indeed retaining an undisclosed percentage of sell-on fees. Of course. Of course. You must. You must do that. That's what uh, MLS has decided to become a developmental league, found their place. A good one. And you got to do that. 35%'s a little ridiculous like Dallas had with Chris Richards, but hey. Uh, when you when you're when your academy if he can show it, absolute good. results yeah. that pr- that prove themselves like El Tren, sorry, Derzug and Jesus <laughs> Ferreira and Chris Richards, I think you can say we want a big yeah. cut of that sell on. <laughs> I, I think there's also something about gift horses and mouths or something. Yeah, something something like that. But at the same time, if you've got proof of concept on multiple high chip prospects that turn into high level players, you can ask for a little more than everybody else. Talking about gift horses in the mouth, two of the richest countries and two of the best uh, women's uh, national teams have announced today on Tuesday that they will play a friendly. That's the U.S. women's national team. Playing the Lionesses of England, fresh, fresh off the first international championship and competitive play for England since about four weeks after I was born. Yeah, so I can save y'all them. Also, I, I, I gotta say, man, that transition was tortured. <laughs> I must also say, though, um, to save y'all the math or the guessing, uh. That's 56 years since the last time that England has brought a major trophy home in either. Don't men's or dox women's. Mike on the podcast. Hey, he doxed himself by saying <laughs> how close it was to his birth. I was just going to give how long ago it was. <sighs> but more Man. importantly, the facts on this on that game that uh, the trophy they won it it meant it it bears mentioning that there was eighty seven thousand and uh, uh, rounded up to two hundred thousand fans. 
87,200 fans total at Wembley Stadium. And this was a record attendance for any international Euros final. It was also the highest viewed uh, program in BBC this year at 17.4 million viewers with 5.9 million streams. Yeah, this uh, this friendly between the U.S. and England for the U.S. national, it's a friendly, but that first half is going to be exceptional. You got two favorites for the next World Cup, two of the very best teams in the world. These friendlies don't happen that often, especially across hemispheres. Uh, they're going to be going at it. Second half, you could imagine these coaches will take absolute chances to take fringe players, and especially young players that they look to the future, to get them in against one of the very, very best teams in the world in this. It's something to look forward to and something to watch. Yeah, and uh, the U.S. women haven't played at Wembley since the 2012 Olympics. And I I don't even remember, but it's been even longer than that, I think, since they faced England in competition. That would have been the semifinals of the last World Cup, and it went down to as a nail-biter. The Lionesses were extremely difficult, but the U.S. came out on top 2-1, if I remember. Because the U.S. women's team is, like, the best women's team in the world. <laughs> but <laughs> England's trying. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, legitimately, like, I say that, but absolutely what the, what the Lionesses accomplished at the Euros is tremendous. Cannot be overstated. Um. So some details on this match coming up, um, scheduled for October 7th at Wembley. Um, now, uh, they kind of announced it this far ahead of time for kind of PR purposes, I think, but this is subject to change because this would be right in the window that if, uh, if England does not qualify for the world cup, this will end up being, right in the heart of them doing their World Cup playoffs. So it is subject to change. But they only need to pick up one point to clinch their group. So if they can get a point in their next two World Cup qualification games, then uh, then that's a done deal. Anything else for this week, guys? I think we covered it all in breadth and in chronology yeah. as well yeah. one day we will be forced to answer for our many crimes but today is not that day and I'm your host Mike Turner I'm your producer Mason and I'm your cave dwelling hooligan Sean and we are the soccer capital podcast we humbly appreciate all of you listeners out there that have made this podcast relatively so much more popular and listened to than we ever imagined, especially starting so far in advance of an actual, the team we cover actually starting play. It's all we can say is humbly and respectfully. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.